This week in South Baltimore. Say Bohan. Brought to you by SouthBmore.com. Baltimore, it's the city I adore. Be in Baltimore, rich to be in Baltimore poor. It's the city always searching, never finding a cure. But baby, nothing can replace my Baltimore. So welcome back to the podcast this week in South Baltimore. Uh, we got an awesome guest today, Chris Franzoni, who is the eater in chief of Eat More Baltimore. I know a lot of you guys out there already know who he is, but um, you know, by the end of this episode, you're definitely gonna gonna want to check him out and follow him on Instagram. We're gonna talk about all kinds of awesome restaurants, food, things around Baltimore, and of course South Baltimore specifically. We're, we're gonna get into that, Chris. This is um, I was telling Kevin earlier. This was a bad day to skip breakfast. I know that we're going to get in some cool conversations <laughs> and I totally skipped. So I had to run upstairs and just like eat a couple things real quick, just something to get in. Otherwise, I'm going to I'm going to be dying here. But anyway, <laughs> I'm going to be hungry afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, thanks again for being here. And I'm going to turn over to the founder, chief president, CEO, executive of SouthPmore.com. Here's Kevin Lynch. What's up, Cap? Thanks for that. Very bold intro, Nate. All right. I'm excited to be joined by Chris. He's not only the eater in chief of Eat More Baltimore, but he's also a Federal Hill resident. So, Chris, thanks. Thanks for joining us today. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. So just getting started, how did you start Eat More Baltimore? So I started about six years ago. I had, I had a friend doing it in Nashville. I check her out if you ever visit Nashville or just check her out on his Nashville food fan. She started it, I guess, probably seven years ago. And she said, nobody's really doing this in Baltimore. I mean, she has the kind of the same account, but just... Um, for that city. So she told me what she was doing. She showed me how to do it. And she said, just started in Baltimore. So you know, I started doing it, sharing pictures. I was already going out to eat a lot and taking pictures. So I thought instead of doing this on my personal account, it's probably a good idea. I just start my own doing it just on food. And also that way, my friends don't get irritated with me just posting pictures of food on my personal one all day long. And awesome. I know you surpassed 100,000 followers recently. So tell me about the excitement to reaching that milestone. It was very exciting. I'm really happy about that. I mean, I had that on as a goal for a long time now and, you know, slowly creeping up there. But yeah, for some reason I had hundred K in my mind. It's something that I needed to hit now. And now I did it. I'm really excited about it. I'm just wondering what do, what do I do next? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. There's always that question. I'm at my goal. Now what? So just curious, any, and yeah, what do you think would be the next step or, or could you have any recommendations there of like, uh, you know, what can we, what can we all do and what can our, can our audience do to help you get there? Yeah, well, I just, I, so I, I'm obviously still doing the Instagram, but I started TikTok. I, I just call it the TikTok because I'm old now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's interesting because as, it's funny, as you grow, Instagram obviously has an algorithm. So they change the way they're showing you to people and who they're showing you to. So, you know, one way to support me and I think one way to support other, you know, local bloggers, Instagrammers or whatever, is just like, if you see a picture and you like it, like it, comment on it, share it. Um, and just get it around because it's it's an easy and a free way to help us. And it also helps the businesses that we're trying to support. I think, you know, one of the reasons that I did start this was that I lived outside of Baltimore for like several years. I lived in New York for a little bit. I lived in D.C. a little bit. Um, and every time I would say people would ask, where are you from? And I'd always say Baltimore. And the immediate response was always like, oh, yeah. why or who? <laughs> and like literally people would say, give that visceral reaction. And it was really upsetting and annoying because the rap, the, the rap that Baltimore gets is much worse than that is, <laughs> it right. is living here. It's a great city. So I started to shed a positive light on Baltimore. And at this point, I do it just to highlight the local restaurants and to shed that positive light on the town that, you know, doesn't always have such a such a positive reputation. So, you know, doing that, liking, sharing, commenting helps me, but more so it also helps the restaurants because the more you like and do that, the more engagement you get, the more it shows you to other people. 
That's awesome. And as somebody who has a business that's on all the social media, if I could figure out big <laughs> yeah. tech algorithms, I'd be uh, I'd be a much richer man at this point. But it's like it's <laughs> like a const constantly moving in different directions that I can't always figure out. But obviously, with anything, the more, as you said, the more likes, the more interactions, the more it tends to show up in people's feeds. So any tips you can give for fellow Instagrammers out there? What are the type of angles? What's some of the lighting that people like to see in their posts? I think the first thing is to, to really just be authentic with whatever you're doing. Like don't try to act or be something that you're not. And just, you know, if you like something, if you want to share something, you know, just do it. And once you nail down, you know, what your style is or what you like, stick with it and be consistent. I mean, for me, I like really bright pictures, natural lighting. So when I go into a restaurant, if I can, probably really annoys the, the person who's about to see me. But, you know, I like to sit next to a window. So you get like the natural indirect lighting. Mm -hmm. My pictures are all like super close up. So, you know, it's like really in your face. So bright, bright colors, light backgrounds, and just, you know, makes you want to lick your phone kind of type, type photos. But once you figure out what you want to do, just do it, stick with it, stay consistent, post regularly, and you'll get there. So hashtag lick your phone. I like that. That's a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all want to lick our screens right now, examining your page right now. Yeah, I'm looking at that too. And, and it's amazing. And one of the, you bring up a good point because uh, I believe I was reading it on one of your blog posts that you talked about restaurants that, uh, you know, even like steakhouses and, and so forth, the restaurants will put the names of their business on the bottom of the plate. And also even like say a steak, they'll brand their name in a steak because it's like, well, just in case somebody takes a picture of it, and they don't tag us, at least it's there. Plating has always been a thing, but now I think for restaurants, it's more important than ever mm. because you never know who's going to come in there and take a picture of it. And unfortunately, I think that like a, a bad picture of food can go, or go viral just as much as like a really cool one or even more so. But I think it's something that chefs are definitely considering a lot more now. And then the ones that I you know talk to and work with are like when they're talking, talking to their chefs and, and the staff who are looking at the plates that are coming out, they have to look at it and say, does this look good? People are going to be taking pictures of it. I mean, there's a guarantee that throughout the evening, there's several people who are going to be taking pictures and posting it. So... You know, you really have to nail it and stay consistent because each dish could be seen by hundreds of thousands. I mean, you don't know. Right. Speaking of that, uh, did you guys see that thing? I think it was about a year ago. Um, some girl in Federal Hill posted a picture of her roommate's boyfriend or something post like putting chicken in the oven. And it was just on like a, a metal pan with like no oil, no seasoning. And it was just like the most depressing photo ever. And it went like, it was like trending on Twitter, maybe other social media too, but it was like, this, I missed that. <laughs> like, I guess it was like the worst chicken picture ever taken. And uh, <laughs> it went viral and uh, the, the guy behind it, I assume he found out about it. But oh, yeah, man, I'm not the good another chicken. thing too, every time I make tacos, I cannot take a good picture of them. They just look like slop. Every time I try to take a picture of any tacos I make. So any recommendation on how to make a picture of tacos look good? I don't know. I mean, tacos are tough, too, because of what goes on top. Yeah. And one thing that actually drives me a little bit crazy at restaurants right now, I mean, and it's probably only drives me crazy, are the, are the greens on top. Uh -huh. Like microgreens on top of everything. Mm -hmm. It messes up my focus. Mm -hmm. You can't see what the food that's underneath. And I know it's supposed to be pretty and decorative, but it messes up with like the food corn aspect. Right. So I feel like anytime you have something like that on top of it, uh -huh. Like if you stick with cheese on top of your tacos, like you're going to be pretty safe. Do lettuce. Eh, it's probably not, not, probably not so good. <laughs> yeah. From talking to some taco proprietors that are actually from Mexico, they'll tell us that all yeah. these toppings are really an American thing. You know, I guess in Mexico, it's really just the, the cilantro and the right. onions and maybe a squeeze of lime. So, you know, if you mm -hmm. go into taco love, they'll ask you if you wanted American style or I guess right, traditional right, right. style. 
But, uh, right. Well, that sounds like pizza as well, right? I mean, in Italy, you know, I've been there and I know pizza is really pretty, almost like a flatbread over there. I mean, it's really basic, really just got cheese. Maybe you get a little bit of meat at some point or a little bit of vegetable, but it's really just flat cheese, right? More like a bar pie. Yeah. Right. Not just not like the supreme crazy Hawaiian meat lovers. You know, yeah. Let's put Hawaiian everything we own. Stuff, let's put right? the whole kitchen sink <laughs> on it. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a, there's a TikTok that I started following it was a um it's a girl and her italian boyfriend and she just does all these like ridiculous things to offend him. yeah like the way she, she like cooks pasta and she breaks it first before she puts it in the boiling water oh, you know she like starts eating before everyone has a food at the table and it's just her boyfriend yelling at her the entire time about all the things that she's doing wrong yeah i just oh, i like, just found that account probably in the last week but yeah I'm, I'm still i still try to watch it closely to see if any of it's staged at all but yeah i saw the uh she brought home a cauliflower crust frozen pizza, and he just yes, wait, yeah. <laughs> that was recent, right? Yeah, he flipped um, out. <laughs> and I would say, if you have any sort of like gluten or vegan diet, going to Italy must be miserable because it's literally just right, carbs yeah. and pork there. That's it. That's it. All day long. Yeah. Awesome. So, two part question: A, how often do you go out to eat? And B, is anybody helping you eat all this food? Pretty often. I think before the pandemic, I was going out like a whole lot, like probably. I mean, definitely six-ish times a week, five to seven times a week. Obviously, the pandemic hit, so that made it a little harder. I still ordered out a lot and tried to go out where there were places to eat outside. But definitely started cooking at home a lot more. Now things are starting to pick up a little bit more or a lot more, which is great. Um, so I'm going out a lot more, but I do have someone to help me. My partner, Stan, typically goes with me. So we'll eat at least the other half. Good, good for him. He gets to come out and uh, go on this journey with you with all these good plates. He just has to wait for me to take the pictures. <laughs> right. I'm hungry, Chris. Come on, man. We never eat hot food, which is <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. sad. But... <laughs> I was say, how do you resist? You, it comes, it's plated, you sit it down, it's hot, you yeah. smell it. It's like, oh my God, now I got to get like 14 pictures. I'm, I'd that would be tough for me. I'd have to just start eating right away. When you go to these places around town, uh, do you find some places know you better than others? Do you kind of go in incognito or are you invited in or is it a little bit of a little bit of a mix there? Um, a little bit of a mix. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of restaurants I, I have relationships with now, so they know. Don't, I mean, they don't know me when I walk in. I never really like announce that I'm coming because I think that's a little bit obnoxious. I, I would say that I probably actually pay for 90 percent of my meals because I just thought in the past year and a half, it's not fair for me to go and ask. Like I, I didn't really ask local businesses beforehand for free stuff. And especially now I'm not going to go in um, and do this and, and do that. If they invite me in, it's a little bit of a different story, but yeah, I mean, I would say that, you know, a lot of the places that I'm going in know me at this point because I've been doing it for 60, 60 years. Right, so right. I just built the, built the relationships. Right. Do you ever see like the little, like kind of secret telling going on? Hey, I think it's that guy. You ever see it, catch any of that going on? Or do they just kind of come out and say, Hey, you're that guy. Let's, let's make let's yeah, some good yeah. food. I mean, sometimes I feel like if someone like looks at me a little bit longer, I'm like, Hmm, what's, what's happening mm -hmm. there. But people generally will just like come up and ask if they recognize me. At first I never put myself on my, on the, on my page. Mm -hmm. Like I kept it. I kept myself off it a lot. And then I thought, um, you know, why not? I don't know. I don't know if people want to see me more. They probably just want to see the food. One told me, I got a, I got a message the other day that just said, just post food weirdo. <laughs> like a few like videos. I'm like, okay, you know, you, there is a follow button on my page. I try to be positive all the time. Yeah. Very rarely will I do something that's negative unless it's like something that was really done wrong. Like if it's just a bad meal or, you know, something went wrong, that's like out of the restaurant's control. Like I'm not going to go on there. And blast them. Like, that's not the point of it. The point of it is, like, like I said before, like, just, you know, shut a positive light on all these restaurants and just highlight them. And even if people post negative stuff on in, in the comments, I generally just leave it there as well. If it's really bad, then I'll go and delete yeah, it and block yeah, them. Right. But 
Yeah, one of the things yeah. I love about social media, there's kind of self-policing going on. If, if somebody puts something really ridiculous on there, you can kind of rely on your followers to maybe right. maybe right. put that person right. in line or uh, or maybe not. Yeah. Maybe they're right sometimes. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, awesome. Well, I'm looking at your page right now and getting very hungry, and hopefully I don't lick the screen here. So tell us about some <laughs> plates you've had recently that have just really stood out. I had three really good meals recently. I just went and tried the new fall menu at Black Swan, and it was like really tasty. They had, what did they have? They had, for like, they had fried lobster mac and cheese. They had a really good short rib, short rib steamed buns. They had a Chilean sea bass, and they just switched up the menu, I think like a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. New place that just opened, which Baltimore doesn't actually have a lot of. It's called the Heritage Smokehouse, and it's a chef that was, he was at Woodbury and then at Parts and Labor, and he was basically in control of their like butcher shop and all of the meats. And he, so he just started his own smokehouse smoking everything in house he has these two 1000 gallon propane tanks mm -hmm. that he repurposed he, he said that he got them down in, in georgia so he drove down to georgia got these like two huge tanks and he smokes everything there he really really knows his stuff and you know we had brisket there pulled pork chicken all the sides everything was like really really good and i think i think it'll do well there i think he just needs to get the word out a little bit but it's only been open for two months yeah. so you know these things take time oh. the other one was um duck duck goose if you look at my page you'll see nice that. nice awesome <laughs> and and Chris, being a fellow resident here in South Baltimore, and being that that is the main focus of our podcast here, just curious, what do you think we're missing here in South Baltimore? Is there anything you, you think we're missing? You know, we, we tend to see some different trends every couple of years. Kevin and I on the podcast here have even joked before where, you know, all of a sudden we had no ice cream places. Now we have five. We didn't have uh, we didn't have any yeah. poke places. Now there's a bunch. It just seems to go in this trend. Is there anything we're missing yeah. here or anything you think you'd like to see or would advise? I think we're missing in South Baltimore, like more fine dining places. Mm -hmm. There's not a really like elevated dining experience. Over right. there. I mean, there are a lot of great places, but nothing that's, I think the closest thing that we would have had was Wright Street Tavern probably. Yeah. I think we're going to get one in No Way Rosé, which is the same Duck Duck Goose. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. opening over here. I think he always nails it. And I think you're gonna, it's going to be a more elevated experience. It's going to be cooler and something that like South Baltimore hasn't seen. There are a lot of places you can go to get bar food and even like elevated bar food, but we're also missing that like middle ground. Like if I don't want to go, if I want really good comfort food, yeah. that's just slightly above what you might get at a bar in a, in an atmosphere that's not where I'm not sitting at the bar, we're kind of lacking that. Yeah. And I think we had that with like, maybe like Reggie's was close to that, but more, more of that type of place where you can feel comfortable, but you're not. I mean, that's probably just me getting old talking to all around. Like, get these kids out. Right. Hey, I want to sit down. I want my Sunday supper. Music. Where's my... No, no. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. That is actually spot on. I think about like when I grew up kind of in the, you know, the burbs and like, yeah, you know, you always had just restaurant restaurants and they, you know, it wasn't necessarily a bar, right. but you bring up a good point there. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to yeah. see Cross Street seems to be diversifying itself a little bit right now where it's, it's always good. You know, you get that young professional party crowd that's good that keeps those places in business it kind of puts federal hill on yeah. the map but it's good to see you got the ice cream shops now as we talked about you know you got no way rose coming in you have elevated menu at the new stalking horse called uh, cross street public house you have watershed in there so it is good to see that it's getting more options for families it's getting more options for tourists good yeah. options for people like chris who want to have a more quiet uh meal at, at different levels so <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's it's exciting to see kind of a diversity of styles of eating now at the cross street area and it's always gonna have that late night crowd but it is good to see and obviously you know we're all very excited to see what ashish alfred comes up with at no way rose that should definitely be on another level than what we currently have so it's, it's good to see yeah. uh, what's going on down there even right before the pandemic, South Baltimore, the restaurant scene was kind of dipping a little bit mm -hmm. because, I mean, places were closing and businesses were leaving. And now, I guess in the last six months, yeah, I mean, you have Watershed. No way Rosé is going to be there. 
Cross Street Public House, NOLA, The Palm, and then the local oyster is going to be opening up yeah. closer down to, I'm really excited about that yeah. one too. I, I think that's going to be yeah. great because they do it. They do a great job. Yeah. There was that short period of time where in like just a few months, we lost wine market. We lost bluegrass. Yeah. We lost metropolitan, metropolitan Reggie's. Well, that was a little bit later probably. But. Yeah. But yeah, there was a period, there was like five, I think there was like four or five, like once like higher end restaurants. It was like Soba Cafe was really the only one left at one point. Oh, the other one right, was yeah. um, Live to Eat was there too. So it was really a, a period where we kind of got cleared out of higher end dining places. But it's good to see that there's really almost no vacant restaurant spaces in South Baltimore at this point. There's there's the former world of beer at McHenry Row. It'd be nice to see something, in my opinion. You know, if somebody were to do a, a finer dining establishment, at least you have the parking and easy access. And McHenry Row seems to have a hard time keeping restaurants for some reason, even though they have all the people living there and the all the parking. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone also goes there for grocery shopping. So people, are, you know, people are going there. Yeah. So Chris, I have to ask you here, kind of keeping with uh, you know things that have happened during the pandemic. We all learned a lot of lessons in in life in all different ways, but but specifically with the restaurant business, uh, one thing my wife and I learned early on and really shocked me. I mean, I at first I thought these uh, third party apps, you know, like your Uber Eats and and Toast and Grubhub's and et cetera, were were you know all there to help out restaurants and you know be a good guy for them. And then you learn that these guys are really overcharging them in fees and and making it kind of difficult. And a lot of times restaurants are losing money. But as a lawyer yourself and as someone who you know is very close to the restaurant business around here, what, what's your take on that? And do you think that's gotten better? And do you think there might be any changes to their policies and procedures moving forward? All I want to say is that I just know and, and I encourage our listeners and, and audience to always you know call the restaurant directly if you can and get it ordered that way as opposed yeah. to going through those apps. Sometimes you can't avoid it. Yeah, I'm just curious to get your take on that. You know, during the pandemic, they, these businesses, which were already, you know, raking in tons of money, you know, a third off the top, maybe from the restaurants, the service fees or whatever, you know, whatever it was for each, each one was probably a little bit different. I think they had a real opportunity to help the restaurants and instead they took advantage of them and everyone staying at home. You know, restaurants already have such a small margin to begin with. You know, they have so many overhead costs with the staff and the food and the supplies. And, you know, they were pivoting constantly with the grill pubs, the Uber Eats, the DoorDashes. They all saw it as an opportunity to make more money um, and they did it. So, I mean, at this point, I tried to use them as little as possible. Go to the restaurant and pick it up. It's a little bit more convenient, but you're really helping to support local when you're doing that. And I think it makes a big difference because that, that 30%, 20%, whatever it might be at that point is going directly back to the restaurant and not to a business that you don't know. And I think probably posted about that over the past year and a half, because I know that Ashish was very vocal about that as well with all the apps and, and supporting local. And you get a little bit of pushback from probably like a vocal minority of people saying that like, well, all these apps, you know, they pay the drivers and they do all this stuff and they support local because people are working for them. I'm like, well, you know, if you don't have the restaurants, if the restaurants mm-hmm. can't survive, then you don't have drivers who are delivering. Them. That's the pecking order of how it goes. So that's fine. If you, you, you want to have these businesses around these, Corporations that aren't really giving back to the community right. at all, yeah. other than the convenience. And half the time they mess it up anyway. And then you can't talk to them. Right. They're like, oh, call the restaurant. Right. They, you know, they messed that up or, you know, that's their fault, not ours. Yeah. It's just a, you know, it's an ineffective system that's constantly messing up. That's screwing over local businesses and just not helping yeah. anyone except for a convenience. Right. <laughs> you know, a small convenience when you can actually just walk. You know, I get it because anything that's helping people or making your life easier can help. But, you know, we're, we're getting further and further away from supporting local. And I think, you know, maybe the pendulum is going to swing back at some point. Yeah. I mean, I hope that it does, but I think that's going to be a real, a real issue down the road. 
Everybody in South Baltimore lives within two blocks of a restaurant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And my, easier said than done, but I've kind of always been of the opinion when you when you do those apps, when you add in the fees and the tip, you might as well just go out. You know, you could probably go out and have a drink for right. the same mm-hmm. price. So mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. If you actually look at it at the end, what it is, yeah. like how much extra you're paying to have it delivered. Mm-hmm. It's at least over ten dollars, fifteen, twenty. I mean, depending on how much you ordered and what you're tipping. Like one of my favorite things is uh, when I uh, walk the dog in the morning down uh, down my street, and I'll see all these like pizza bowlies or McDonald's or something on the doorstep after like a Saturday night. And I'm like, <laughs> some people did some late night ordering, and they just you know probably fell asleep and woke up the next morning to a cold cheeseburger that they probably paid thirty dollars for. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I see that a lot in the neighborhood. I did that once when I was in. I was out of. I think I was in Charleston, and I ordered DoorDash, and I didn't change the address of my DoorDash. So I had the entire order delivered to my doorstep in Baltimore. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh that's man. fine. That's fine. <laughs> Back oh. when I was a better neighbor and used to organize a lot of cleanups, I'd always find like Burger King and like Chick-fil-A cups. I'm like, we don't even have these restaurants. Right. Like, how's, this <laughs> stuff, here, right? how's this stuff ending up here? It's not like I right. see like the Sobo Cafe bag on the ground. It's always like a, it's always like <laughs> right. a Burger King or like oh. a Hardee's bag on the ground. Chris, you got but, me yeah. thinking there. You, you, you just mentioned Charleston, and that's actually a question I was going to ask you about later. It's obviously a culinary mecca for uh, the restaurant business and just foodies in general but uh you know what what do we need to do to get there do you think it's even a possibility here in baltimore to get there to even a close close to that degree i think we have the talent here Mm -hmm. i mean i think if you look independently if we were in charleston and we were visiting baltimore for the food scene if we were doing it vice versa i think you would say the same thing Mm -hmm. about baltimore i mean i think i could show you the same experience in baltimore that you get in charleston you may not have as many of the award-winning chefs here at this point that they may that they may have i mean i think they have they have a few um james beard award winners I don't think they have any Michelin stars there yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have you have the, all that stuff up here. I mean, pretty much. Maybe making it a little more attractive to, or maybe a little bit easier to open things up in Baltimore could draw additional talent. Maybe having like a few bigger names in the industry. Because I think that that's what's happened there, right? It's happened in Charleston, also happened in Nashville. You have a lot of people that are going to those cities that are incentivized to go to those cities and then they open up their shops. I mean, like, yeah. I think there's a huge, before the, before the pandemic, there are huge populations of people moving to Nashville. I think it was one of the fastest was, growing cities yeah. for millennials in the country, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and with that, when you have that population going there, the talent also comes. So, you know, maybe figuring out ways to draw that younger talent into the city and then you get that innovation and that freshness that some of these other cities that are popping up get. But I think if you're just looking at Baltimore versus these other cities objectively, you do have, I mean, there are tons of amazing places that would stand up to those other cities. Cool. One of the things I like about Baltimore too, is it's got a nice foundation of like foods it's been known for, for probably a hundred years where you take the, yeah. you take the crab cakes, you take the Chesapeake Bay seafood, you take the pit beef and the snowballs and things. It's a good foundation where you can kind of, the Greek diners, you kind of lead with that. And then you can, you could add the, the talented chefs and stuff to really, to really add to the dining scene. So I love that at least we do have an identity where you see some cities, I'm not going to mention names. It's like, what are you really known for? But then you're bringing a lot of chefs yeah. and you develop a good dining scene. But right. That's what they're, that's what they're known for. Uh-huh. Right. It's not a particular necessarily cuisine. Right. And I still think that when I go to other cities, mm-hmm. even in New England, and I was just out on the West Coast too, like Baltimore holds its own when it comes to seafood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like there are yeah. very few cities. I mean, I, I do think that Baltimore, the best, if not one of the best seafood scenes in the country easily there's blue crabs pretty much everywhere from texas to probably like long island and we're the, we're the only right. ones that seem to know how to cook them right <laughs> <laughs> exactly and like back to what you were just saying about like snowballs if you open a snowball stand and because 
when you go to any other city too, snowballs aren't snowballs. They're not like, I mean, they call them something different and they're also like a different thing and they're not they're definitely not as good. Mm -hmm. I think if you open a snowball stand somewhere like in Times Square or in Manhattan or somewhere like that, it would absolutely kill it with like without a doubt. Like I would love to do that. Just try like do a pop up for a week mm -hmm. and see what happens. It would be insane. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be cool. Well, since we talked about some of the, the Baltimore classics, what are some of like the true Baltimore dining institutions in your mind? Places that have been around forever and they deserve the the praise and the success they've had. Those are also kind of dying off now too, yeah. you know, which is really sad. But I think you have your like prime ribs, your Tio Pepe, some of your spots in Little Italy. Like I love La Scala. I think that's a great spot. Mm -hmm. But really when you're, when you're thinking of like Dame Street, Thames Street, however, Oyster House, but really a lot of those older places have which is sad. And that might be just part of the way the restaurant industry works. You know, they didn't change with the times. I mean, but there is something to say for going to like a really good steakhouse and getting like an amazing steak, like a martini or like a glass of red wine. And, you know, there'll be new classics. They're popping up. It's almost like you look at Federal Hill. It's like, are you a new resident or an old resident? Well, I've been here for like 20 right, years right. now. So <laughs> I'm older than the teenagers telling me I didn't grow up here. But And I think the places that have survived now are, you know, they made it through the toughest time. Yeah. They know what they're doing at this point. So they have it nailed down. Yeah, hopefully it's kind of like the realtors that made it through the real estate crash of the mid 2000s. Right. They're all killing it now. So hopefully, hopefully it's the same way at yeah. the restaurants if you're still here now. And as, as I walk around, it seems like places are packed right now. So. Yeah, I think their place has been really busy. I mean, now you're dealing with a lot more issues too. I mean, not just from not, not being able to open, but like supply chain issues, staffing issues, yeah. all that stuff down to, I mean, literally like restaurants that are trying to open can't get anything that they, that they need. And it's just, yeah. you know, it, it puts them on a delay. So they're still, they had to pivot based on what the city was doing for the past year and a half. But now they're pivoting based on what they can get and what they can't get. You know, one day, even, you know, regular foods that you think would be easy to find. It's not necessarily a matter that the food isn't there that you can't get. It. I mean, that is also an issue, uh -huh. but getting it distributed to the restaurant. Like, is there someone who's able to get it on the truck? Is there a truck driver who's able to get it to the restaurants? Like all of these, everyone in the chain, there are issues. So it just makes it all a lot more challenging. I, I feel like people started going out again and they thought that the restaurants were open. So they're like, oh, I can go back to being like rude and you yeah. know, yell at the host and the server. And if something didn't go wrong, you know, I can be mad about it. Or if they didn't have something on the menu, let, let me get upset. No, I mean, just like be nice to the host, be nice to the server. If they don't, if they're out of something, just order something else because mm -hmm. you're at a restaurant, like, yeah. you know, tip them 20% because they're working twice as many tables as they were before and just be a little bit more patient. I mean, eventually things will get back to get back to normal. Yeah. One of my favorite things of the past year and a half was talking to some of the restaurant owners who just talked about how the how the locals through carry out through carry out drinks just kept them afloat you know they weren't making money but they weren't losing money which really helped them survive this period of time which credit to the great business owners here but also credit to so many of the south Baltimore residents that kind of yeah. stepped up extra to make sure that i don't know if we're gonna call it the end of this yet but i mean we're we kind of have more restaurants now than when we started with so that's just yeah a, yeah i think we do that is amazing and I mean, and we have so many new innovations, right? The parklets, the uh, the outdoor dining that people have added, and let's be honest, the walk around cocktails. I mean, I'm not saying yeah, we need to be yeah. New Orleans or Key West here, uh, <laughs> Duval Street or you know Canal Street, but I'm just saying that was pretty amazing. I mean, it was it was awesome to yeah. go grab a hot toddy and go check out Christmas lights, you know, around the neighborhood, you know, last yeah. year and the year before. So. I, I hope we keep that. I hope we keep the parklets and the outdoor 
seating. I mean, I don't know how, I mean, I think different restaurants feel differently about it depending on where they are and what the location is and how it impacts their business. But if you go to any other city that has, you know, any other historic city, again, we'll go back to Charleston, you know, that type of like Savannah, all those places, you go to the historic area and there's no, you're not driving on the streets. Mm -hmm. You can have tables and mm -hmm. people are walking around and doing all that stuff. I would love, I would love to see us like us keep that. And it's also another thing that Baltimore, I think actually lacks a little bit, um, were at least before the pandemic, the outdoor spaces and roof decks. Yeah. You know, if you go to New York and DC and, and uh, other, I guess, bigger cities, they all have a lot more outdoor space. Yeah. And these rooftop bars and these rooftop restaurants that are all like really, really cool. And you started to see that a little bit more, but still not to the extent that you would in DC or Philly or New York. Right. Um, like Watershed, I think is a yeah. great addition. It's a great, I mean, I think that changes the dining scene in South Baltimore for sure. And is an incentivizer for other restaurants who want to come to that area um, because it's such a draw. And just the overflow of that and just, I think the exposure that that gets, you know, the whole cross street area. If you're just coming there for Watershed, then you're going to look around and you're going to say, oh, wow, all these other restaurants are here. And I think these other restaurants that are opening up also will also definitely be a draw. I mean, I think like, I'll go back to No Way Rosé. I think that's going to be a great spot that people are going to want to come down to just to see. I mean, just for that mural outside at this point. <laughs> yeah, get in. Get in your Instagram shots and I guess TikTok if you're under the age of 23, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, if anybody follows me on social media or any of my uh, kind of projects outside of SouthBeaver.com, you'll know I'm a big pizza enthusiast. So while we got one of the uh, biggest eaters and promoters of food in, in Baltimore, I got to get in a question. Chris, what are some of your favorite slices around town? Oh, uh, my favorite slices around town are, I love the crab pie at Matthews. Of course. I think that's a, an iconic slice. Uh -huh. I like Joe Benny's, which I guess isn't really like a, a slice per se. It's a little bit of a different style. Uh -huh. Troy style at Underground is really good. Mm -hmm. And then pizza to Joey over here. I made my way around the yeah, city. Yeah, you hit, a, you hit a Detroit style, Sicilian style, whatever Matthews is, and you hit New York style. So I like the right. uh, Matthews style. It's just Matthews. Yeah, I've actually style, right. tried to. I, I try to explain. Matthews is somewhere in between like a Boston bar pie and a Detroit style. If they had a baby, that's kind of where where Matthews ends up. Yeah, because it has like that medium thick like uh -huh. pizza crust that's like buttery and crispy. Yeah. Almost like a, I mean, this is going to be sound bad because it's really not that, but it reminds me almost like of like the personal pan pizzas that I would get. It's, that's exactly what it is. It's a, but much elevated. Yeah, right. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always yeah. say Barfly is like a fancier pizza mm -hmm. hut and then Matthews is kind of like that, but then the cheese goes to the, to the crust line and gets you kind of that Detroit style burnt yeah. edges. But yeah, that's, uh, there's always going to be new pizza places. So I, uh, and, you know, we'll certainly never be New York city or the Jersey shore when it comes to pizza. But I think we do have some good options if you're going to kind of open your mind and not just have to eat, you know, one style of pizza. I think underground I've seen on their Instagram is going to play around with different types, with different styles. So you may see a, a thinner slice coming from them at some point. Yeah. Yeah. When I was talking to Evan, yeah, he was telling me they have the old coal fired oven from when Joe squared was in there. So I mean, it's yeah. definitely like the, uh, that's the Lamborghini for pizza makers. If you get to play around with a coal fired oven. So I'm, yeah, I can't wait to see what he comes up with, with that. Yeah. He's a lot of fun. He does a lot of cool. I mean, I think the pizza is really good. I mean, just, the right, the regular one, but when he does all the different flavors and the different sauces, and I think he has like a honey hot sauce that he drizzles mm -hmm. on top. Like yeah. he's a good example of pivoting during the pandemic mm -hmm. as well, you know, cause he went into the business, um, figured it out. Now he's, I mean, he's killing it. Yeah. That's it's awesome. awesome. He's obviously good on social media too. Yeah, he's really one good, of yeah. my favorite pizzas anywhere. If you can find it anymore, uh, used to get it at Chaz when it was here in town. Um, it was a coal yeah, fired, um, it was the nice thin crust, small pizza, but it was a brisciotto and some arugula on top. Oh, that to me, that's like one of the top yeah. things ever. It's amazing. I think, I think Nate's hoping I take notes for the next time. He comes yeah, over. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pizza night, Kev. Come if on. You, so if you like, 
Well, I mean, I'll go back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier about the new restaurants, the Heritage Smokehouse. Uh-huh. Um, he had this, it was aged, smoked, cured for two years or what something was, it was like a very long time that this, that this, he made this ham and it was amazing. Mm, um, yeah. So he has, a, he has a lot of that. I think he has a lot of that stuff up there. We're always working on that. So if you like that type of cured smoke stuff, oh, yeah. you definitely check oh, that awesome. out. Thank yeah. You. yeah, that sounds awesome. good. I definitely. think some of the biggest things sold during the pandemic were Pelotons, smokers, mm-hmm. and pizza mm-hmm. ovens. So certainly, I think, I think a lot of people <laughs> yeah. have a, a full good circle. Just, yeah, yeah two, two, out, two out of three. Yeah, I did. Right. <laughs> we have all three actually, but I don't use the peloton. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but no, I've, I've got quite a new appreciation for smoked food. I kind of had like a gift certificate to somewhere, and I was like, yeah, I guess I'll get a smoker. And the first time I smoked it, I'm like, I am a smoking guy now. I am all in. This stuff is yeah. so good. <laughs> nice. There's an art. There's an art to that. I mean, it's really. Yeah. I'll never be the guy that gets up at 4 a.m. to start the brisket, but I, uh, no, we're stay up on yeah. like wake up every two hours to like yeah. do whatever. It's a lot of, yeah. you really have to be devoted to Yeah, <laughs> I would never be the guy to do that, but I will definitely be the guy that tells you it's awesome. And thank right, you for doing that. Say, yeah. <laughs> thank you for doing yeah. this. I appreciate yes. it. I'm glad you woke up every other yes. yes. <laughs> little, little dry, Nate, a little dry. Maybe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So Chris, thank you again so much for being here. This is a great conversation and, uh, you know, really, really love this. And, and this is definitely one of the most fun conversations we've had on the show. Got to ask you, you know, this weekend is coming up. It's Friday here. We're recording this. You got anything you're looking forward to? Any food you're looking forward to? Any any spots around town you're looking forward to? Actually leaving in half an hour to go to New York. So there's Ooh, a lot of food. Yeah. Food. yeah. <laughs> awesome. But yeah, that's that's what my that's on my agenda for this weekend. Not in Baltimore, but oh man, yeah, we'll go get some of those New York slices, man. Those are the yeah. best. Even at two or three a.m., that's the best. Yeah, I'll put in my pizza order when we sign off. Right, right. <laughs> Let me know. I'll bring it back. <laughs> Very cool. Thank right, you yeah. so much. Take care. See ya. This week in South Baltimore, Sobo Hun, brought to you by SouthBmore.com. I hear you talk about the city, but I don't care. I'm repping Baltimore City with my fist in the air. Searching there, we're finding a cure. Maybe nothing can replace my Baltimore.